Hello and welcome to Dissecting a Frog, a podcast about writing, performing and producing comedy. It's part of Comedy Victoria and hosted by me, Luke Morris. This week we talked to Laura Buskers. Buskies, Buskers, Buskers. Look, we talk about how to say your last name <laughs> at the end of the uh, episode. So, you know, there's a little uh, carrot to dangle for you to listen through to the end. Um, you should be happy to listen through to the end. It's a great episode. Laura is terrific. She's uh, very friendly and easy giving with her knowledge. She's an improv teacher and a manager at the Improv Conspiracy in Melbourne. And we talk about the power of silence when you're on stage. We talk about improv, the teamwork you have and the fear that can happen when you're on stage and uh, when you're trying to delve into characters and trying to find funny in, in them and what to say when you don't know what to say, when nothing's in your brain. What do you do? What, what, what do you do when you're on stage? That's really useful stuff for stand-ups to know, not just improv acts, but stand-ups. Importantly, we do talk about what a stand-up comedian can learn from doing improv, which I think is really useful. There's this, a stupid old little challenge that uh, improv and stand-up acts, because they're both you know, on that stage environment, don't like each other. I don't know why that would be, but apparently that exists, and it's silly, and Stand-up acts can learn a lot from improv. And what can improv learn from stand-up? We talk about that. Um, This is part of Comedy Victoria. So if you enjoy the podcast for education purposes or you just like hearing the sound of my voice, um, good on you. You're unique in the world, and I like unique people. And I would like you to also become a member of Comedy Victoria. You can do that at the website, comedyvictoria.com.au, or follow and follow and click on bio links and things on the uh, socials, which is at Comedy Vic. But uh, enough of that plugging. I've um, been a bit delayed with this episode, helping to produce the Bendigo Comedy Festival, which is a great festival. Uh, but so, so a lot of work. I don't. We're going to do an episode about organising a festival um, on the Saturday, the sixteenth of October. If you want to come and hear a live episode of dissecting a frog with me, talking to producers about what it's like to produce a festival and picking acts and all that kind of thing, and and money and venues and marketing and trying to distill all that down into a one-hour chat. Um, That will be at the Cambrian Hotel in Bendigo on the 16th. Go to bendigocomedy.com and you can find links through the gig guide to uh, attend that. That'd be cool. But let's jump into the interview and dissect the frog of improv with Laura Buskies. Buskers. 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 That's good. Well, I might as well ask a question about comedy things. You, <laughs> what what was your day at work with comedy things? Today, oh my god, today actually had nothing to do with comedy. Um, <laughs> we uh, that's it's the um, misconception that everyone has is like if you run a comedy theater that you get to do lots of fun things, but most of the time you're just um, trying to do like the serious like interpersonal HR kind of things. So. 
it's uh it gets very glamorized for what it really is but it is you're running uh improv conspiracy yeah uh, yeah so you've got it's three shows what kind of things does improv conspiracy do you, you're probably best explaining that <laughs> um yeah so we've got um so we do chicago style long form improvised comedy um which is a long name for i don't know i think it's just kind of a bit wanky um but it's true what it's does chicago a- style well, like because improv as far as i i know it from attending is uh getting inspiration and then creating something on on the spot uh-huh. it's, it's, the, yeah. it's a, a boiled down version of it <laughs> you got you well you yeah you got it in one um it is uh it's definitely that we so the thing that makes it chicago style is just that there's lots of different practitioners and there's lots of different people who um have opinions on it and spent very very long time in the 60s getting high and doing it in in the hills of various cities in the states and um one particular guy named del close had um specific ideas around how you are supposed to do improvised comedy um if you're especially if you're doing it long form um and long form but just basically means that you're on stage for a, a long period of time um and that you focus on uh, the characters and their stories as opposed to just telling jokes because, uh, yeah, short form is very jokey. Um, and then, uh, yeah, so Del Close's uh, ideas around it was were, uh, so, I guess, sort of following things like um, the relationships and um, something called the game of the scene, which is essentially just what's the funny thing of the scene. Um, and the character personalities and points of view and, and playing with those. So that's kind of what makes it Chicago style. It's not that, you know, you get a deep dish pizza with it or like you, know, <laughs> you uh, I don't know, end up, what, what's another, I don't know what another Chicago thing is. <laughs> I don't know. It's in the, the white socks, hot dogs, a hot yeah, dog on the, on the street. Dog. Yeah. I don't know. Gangs. I don't know. Uh, yeah. <laughs> baseball. Yeah, uh, Michael Jordan's involved in some way. Oh yeah, that kind of stuff. <laughs> I didn't even know that. Yeah. yeah. Uh, yeah. So that's what makes it Chicago style. Um, and yeah, so, we is, is that where you have because um, I know through your classes you have different levels. Yeah. And so is that and is, I'll, I'll use the word imposed. Is that leveling part of that training system? What's that based on? That's um, based on the cult. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, we have these levels. Uh, so the levels basically just like level one, the idea is that you have no experience that you're coming in without, um, you know, knowing anything about uh, the style of improv. Um, you might have done some other types of improv before, like whether that's uh, just a different style. Like there are some other long forms that are like more narrative style um and then yeah you come in you kind of learn the, the fundamentals um of uh yes and uh the classic tenet of improv and then um level two you kind of deep dive into characters and point of view and creating characters and then level three you learn game and then level four you learn this um, format called the Harold, which is a, a kind of classic improv format 
Uh, and then from there, you're just kind of uh, really honing the craft of, of learning the Harold. So it's not really levels in terms of we think you are this good at improv, therefore you're at level, <laughs> you're at level 1.2 because you're kind of good, but you're not that. It is stages of learning the, uh, the essentials, I guess. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, I suppose like the idea is that, um, you know, by level three that you, you're getting, <laughs> you're getting all right, you know. Yeah. So, um, but no, we generally like generally people start at level one, even when they've got a bit of, uh, even if they have had some experience in improv, yeah. um, just to, you know, classic sort of things of you might not know what, how we do it. Um, you know, it might be a little bit different from other styles that you've learnt before and getting to know people from a, you know, getting to know people from level one as opposed to like starting in level two, et cetera. So, yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, I, I did have a question here because there's, well, we'll call it jargon, there's words that are used in improv that, are, yes ending, what is yes ending? Uh-huh. Explain yes ending. I hear it a lot. It's always used in things. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. You literally have to say you say yes and uh, no. You don't literally have to say that. Um, so yes and a lot of people say this, and I think like they say that um, it is a bit confusing, and I think that's very fair because um, it does sound super weird uh, to enforce on people that they have to say yes to everything. Um, but uh, the idea behind it is that. Um, when you enter a scene, you don't know anything like you and your scene partner don't know anything about what's going on in the other person's head. Uh, and there's nothing out on the stage, you know, like there's two chairs and that's it. And like the chairs you can't even use as props. Like that's the rules. <laughs> the chairs are just are there for sitting. Um, so you have to create something together and um, to, you know, to avoid, you know, trying to like too much info dumping or to avoid um, confusion, we essentially have this rule that's like, hey, if your scene partner um, says something at the start, like whatever they say, you want to agree to the reality of what they've just said. So if they're like, um, oh, you know, hey, I'm swinging by to McDonald's, do you want anything? You don't have to say yes, you want something, but you do have to agree to the reality that your scene partner is going to go to McDonald's. Um, that sounds annoying if you like, if, if you walk into the scene with an idea, the other person starts talking and that yeah. flips what your, your idea might be. And it's like, oh, I've got to dump the next, the whole idea I had. Yeah, absolutely. And like, I like, I'm guilty of that because I'm the, I'm definitely the kind of person who's like, I have a great idea and I want my idea heard yeah. um but uh can, can i swear in this by the way yeah go for it okay, i'll beep cool. it out if i get worried okay. <laughs> yeah. i was gonna say we have a say that's like fuck fuck my idea oh, um, yeah. which is basically like uh your ideas should be in service to the scene rather than to yourself um so sometimes you will come out on stage and you'll have an idea and if uh just you know Etiquette rules, you know, is just that um, if someone steps out before you, you give them the chance to speak first. Um, if you step uh-huh. out first, then you should have the chance to speak first. Um, if your idea doesn't match with what your scene partner has just put into the scene, then fuck your idea. It doesn't matter. Save it for another scene. Um, the That's what we in, in 
in writing, you called that um, uh, Kill Your Darlings. Yes. Yes, I've heard that before. <laughs> uh, which I know, I know, uh, <laughs> I heard a story about Ronnie Chang said that he, um, he misunderstood it once and kept referring to it as Kill Your Babies. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say, I actually have heard that before. Like, don't be afraid to kill your baby. Um, yeah. Which is super dark. Um, it is, but it is that notion of you want to insert something that doesn't quite fit the scene or the character or something mm-hmm. just because you really like it. Yeah. And like you're saying, if it doesn't suit, you have to Get you have to kill your, kill your baby. <laughs> <laughs> baby doesn't suit your lifestyle. No. This is yeah. Be really yeah. So, yeah, uh, that's kind of, I guess, what goes with it. The yes and is... Um, that we agree to the reality um, and the end part is that you would add something to it. So, um, you know, you could, if someone says, I'm going to, yeah, I'm going to McDonald's. Do you want anything? You can say, uh, yeah, you know, can you get that new vegetarian burger that they've got out? Um, Or maybe you don't want something. You might be like, I don't actually want anything from McDonald's. Um, I'm more keen on KFC. So you're still adding something to the scene. It doesn't have to be like, a huge piece of information it might just be yeah a point of view something you want um or it might be a detail about the world so if, yeah again yep. as mcdonald's you'd be like mcdonald's but we're out in the country how would you get to mcdonald's so fast um gives us a an idea of where you are um or you might be like um sure honey uh which gives an implication of the relationship um, we'd be like, I'll come with you just after I've finished with my Lego set, <laughs> which tells you what you're doing. So you're just um, essentially adding a brick each time and the other person yes ends, they add a brick and then you keep adding bricks until you've got a big, beautiful house that you build. Yeah, you, you, you're build, build building. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. yeah. And creating those. Yeah, and it sounds like the way you're describing it, the more creative of a way you can tell the relationships or the characters, the better. Instead of saying, uh, thank you, my wife, you say, <laughs> yes, honey. Yeah, of course. Yeah. And, like, I think when people are learning, um, we we do kind of encourage them to be as obvious as possible. So if they're, they're like, I don't know, like, how would I – how would I imply that this is my son or how would I imply that this is my friend? And like, as a teacher, I would say to them, like, you can literally say it. Like, if you don't, if you're not sure how to make that clear, you could be like, I'm coming with you to McDonald's because you're my best friend. And I love hanging (laughs) out with my best friend. Like, just say it because it's, it's better to have like five seconds of awkward, clunky, hammy dialogue and you know that results in the rest of the scene being much more clear than yeah having two and a half minutes of like what's going on who are we Uh, Um, just get that information out there the audience will forgive you for it in fact like it's you usually ends up being like something that they laugh at because they realize how silly it was that you just said yes you're my best friend (laughs) (laughs) well i got asked this question i got i got asked to ask questions Oh yeah, uh, cool. and, and one of them was, "What do you do when you have no idea?" Like, like at the start is, or like in a scene? 
Um, oh, th they didn't. They didn't specify that. They just said when oh. you're on stage, you don't have an idea. I suppose that's from the start. But I was thinking of it in terms of what you were saying. Like somebody says, oh, "I'm going to go get some McDonald's," and you're like, oh, "Does my character want McDonald's?" And now I'm just <laughs> eating up space, just sitting here trying to decide what to say next. Uh, I mean, that's a great question, and I think there's a few. Um, again, I'm going. I'm going to go all teacher on you. Um, so if, so on one hand, you might have that question of like, what does my character want? Like, what should I say? Should I say yes or should yeah. I say no? Um, and the answer is both, both answers are correct and both answers are great. The only thing that is not helpful is, um, when you give nothing, when you don't make a choice, no, yeah. like any choice is better than no choice at all. Um, and, you know, in, in the same way of like a choose your own adventure book, one answer will lead to one certain type of scene and another answer will lead to another type of scene and, and neither one of them are better or worse. They're just a choice. Um, the other thing I'd say is like go for the most obvious choice. Um, so if you've, if you, like your instinct is saying yes, then say yes. If your instinct is saying no, then say no, because you will have inside your reason for why you feel that way. If you're currently like, as you, Luke, the improviser, if you're like, I'm actually feeling hungry right now, so I want to say yes, um, you know, to do you want McDonald's? Also, I've just realised how, how much I'm saying McDonald's. And yeah, I'm not, we're going to edit that out later too. We'll leave it. <laughs> A generic, I'll just put swear words instead. <laughs> generic fast food brand yeah. uh, is not being, that has no sponsorship on this uh, <laughs> Um, yeah, if someone says, you know, do you want food? Oh, and, you say, <laughs> and you say, yeah, because maybe you are feeling hungry. Um, then when we find out more about your character, you can actually use some of the real part of you, like using, you know, the real parts yeah. of your real experience, your real feelings and your real knowledge um, is more helpful because it is you and you know it very well. So if you're actually hungry, then maybe we can delve into like, that feeling of what you really want and that can be like a fun thing to play with um as opposed to trying to fight against that and try to go down a different path it um, sounds like also what you're saying is um just giving an answer is better than nothing and, and just going whatever the gut feeling is yeah and, and the notion of yes ending this all seems very like a forgiving environment like it yeah. does you, you know it doesn't really matter. People will forgive you for whatever comes out. <laughs> well, yeah, I think um, everyone, oh, this is like, and this is such a improviser thing that everyone is very judgmental of their own choices. So everyone yeah. will go like, you know, what's the right, what sh choice should I make? And, more, and, you know, this is a very sort of life thing as well, which yeah, you, know, you can read into as much of that as you want to. But um, I think in it, like we're all worried about our own answers and our own contributions that we're not really sitting around and judging other people's contributions. So, you know, when say like forgiving, it's more like you have to be forgiving of yourself and going like, I made this choice and do I like this choice? Maybe not, but it was the choice that I made. So let's double down on it and um, <laughs> not not try to think about what could have been or not try to, you know, not worry that that wasn't enough and trying to add too much else in there because 
your scene partner probably thinks that that's a genius choice anyway because it wasn't yeah. what was, it's either it wasn't what was in their head and they're like that's crazy that is such a wild thing to say how funny or how silly or how exciting or they're like that's exactly what I thought you would say great that's now relatable and it makes this really easy so yeah the forgiveness is I think more for like like self-forgiveness as opposed to like the other person being like that wasn't what I thought so but let's do it it's it's actually quite exciting to go down that path it sounds fairly liberating it is very liberating and that's why a lot of people they do it and they're like oh man improv is therapy and I'm like no (laughs) it's not you still need therapy (laughs) Uh, not you specifically as in we all (laughs) yes Um, improv is therapeutic and has aspects that are very enjoyable and yeah liberating um, because you can play anyone you want to be and it's meditative as well you have to be in the moment Look, with that, when you say play anyone you want to be, so how do you create a character? Do, do you ever do you have a few that you have pre-prepared and you just apply to whatever the scene comes into? Or do you, how do you start yeah, good building question. that? Um, the way that we teach is not that way. Um, there are definitely some places that will teach you, like you kind of want to have almost like 10 or 12 characters that you can kind of use in any different time um the way that we create characters is through um we talk about outside in and inside out so um an uh, inside out character might be like based off of a a point of view or a belief or an, an emotion so something that's a little bit more like psychological um or you would create a character from there so um you might, yeah, maybe starting off with the scene by saying that you uh, want to, you want to, you don't, sorry, you don't want to go to school um, is maybe like a character choice. And we would find out a lot more about that character based off of that, that want or lack of want. Um, And the idea is we would like, create a character from there so we'd find out why like why don't they want to go to school and then based off of there what are some other behaviors that we might see from that person um knowing why they don't want to go to school um the other way is through outside in so it might be like a a way that someone is like walking around the stage or like posture or like their um the the speed that they're moving around, the weight of their movement, the direction of their movement might tell them a little bit about like who this type of person might be. So if you're moving around really quickly, then maybe this person is in a hurry. Um, What kind, you know, then we would explore like a person that's in a hurry. So a lot of it does end up coming down to like point of view and belief and um, yeah, obviously character is more than just like accents and (laughs) the way you walk. But, yeah, a lot of it, it, you can either do it from, like, your feelings, how do you feel right now and how does that create a character, um, or being from the outside in, like, how do you move, um, what's your posture and how does that inform you? Do you have a do you ever have a preference in how you lead? Like, do you, do you start seeing your body move in a certain way <laughs> using that example of you're finding yourself agitating so you think, oh, well, maybe I'll just lean into that and expand on 
yeah that as, yeah, a, yeah. as a character or... um yeah I think I think I like I tend to use both but like um something you like if you start to watch enough improv shows you notice that um different people have like characters that they will fall into very naturally yeah. um so even though we say like oh, you know, you're supposed to be a different person or a different character every time like like I love, I just I'm always a witch, and I just <laughs> it's just or like a really bogan or like really ocker kind of tradey character um, is just something that I fall into, and I think it's like after a while, it's like any comedian or like any actor, you just have these crutches because you get an audience response, and then so you're like subconsciously, like whether you make the choice to consciously or not you kind of go into it again. Um, and, yeah, but I mean, like, more to answer your question, like, I think I do both, but there is an element of, like, you kind of walk on stage and, like, I'll find a certain physicality and then just be like, great, this is my witch character again. <laughs> <laughs> just hunched over a cauldron every time. Um, but is that because that's what you find is funny or is, is that? The, the the I suppose I talk about the voice the com- the comedic voice of a, a fair bit is that yeah. the voice that you find is funniest for you or you've just had that response from audiences? Oh, good question. I think it's fun. I think what it is like it doesn't always it doesn't always get a laugh, but like <laughs> <laughs> but I think what it's like it's fun for me. Um, I think because I'm very conscious of trying trying to make sure that my characters are not too like harmful. And that's like something that we talk about a lot in improv improv is like, and I'm sure you would experience this talking to other comedians and is like the idea of like, what do we laugh at? Like, what are we we laughing at things that are like harmful stereotypes or like, um, yeah, like punch up, kiss down, like that sort of, idea and and for me I guess like a witch (laughs) because it's a fantastical character is um like less is probably is more safe choice because it's like this is fantasy and this isn't like a real character so we can laugh at this character as much as we want without feeling like we're laughing at a real person um uh yeah so I think that's why sometimes I just fall into that or playing characters that just aren't me it feels a little bit more liberating a little bit more fun to to do that i had a question about when people are in characters yeah when you break a character on this is the the quote is why is breaking the character on stage by laughing good and people like that but it's not good otherwise to break a character which i assume means like if something funny happens on stage or even if you say something funny you're supposed to be in character yeah but it flips for that moment because you just can't control yourself yeah yeah then the ocean is that that's actually good even though you're not supposed to do that (laughs) (laughs) i think like like i think the audience likes it because they see you for a moment there yeah and i think it's just relatable because they're like they laugh at it too you know the thing or or maybe it wasn't a a particularly funny thing to the audience but for some reason to that improviser it was really funny um and laughing is contagious like you know as soon as some person starts laughing it makes it really easy for other people to start laughing 
there's a lot of reasons, but I think it is just, it comes down to, it's like, they see you for that moment and they see you like having a really good time. And that is really easily received and like very enjoyable for the audience. Um, and they're kind of laughing with you. I'm imagining it also looking at it and thinking I can see the struggle the person's trying to not laugh and that makes yeah. it even funnier. It builds yeah. that tension of them trying to you're trying to cover it up. He's like, oh, I saw you. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And then like that's always the funniest. That's always the best laugh like is when you're not supposed to laugh. It's like the one where you're in church or like you're in a seminar and you're like this is very, you know, don't laugh and then someone has like a slip of the tongue and says the wrong word or, you know, something funny comes out. You're not supposed to. And I think that's when it's really hard because you're like holding it back instead of releasing it. How do you find the interesting thing of creating characters spontaneously in improv and the idea that improv, I find it hard to, as someone who writes, I can write Mm -hmm. the joke and there's going to be a joke. I know there's going to be a joke because I just wrote it. It's going mm-hmm. to be okay, and then there's going to be some other words and another joke. That's the plan. Uh-huh. But then with improv, it's like one of us is going to be funny at some point. <laughs> <laughs> there's yeah, almost no plan for when it, if or how. Nah, you just, you go in and you just go balls to the wall. Um, you just trust. Yeah, you're right. Like no one, no one knows when something's going to be funny. Um, and I think similar to like any kind of comedy, you do have to get used to the bombing. You do have to get used to the, um, the, the failures and the, the shitty scenes and the, the hard shows um, because you, you learn that like it doesn't matter, that you, you're still alive and, you know, you still, you're still with your friends. And the great thing about improv is that you can walk away and chat with your mates and go, oh, my God, how bad was that show? <laughs> have each other to kind of like cry on each other's shoulders and and it's very that's what's quite beautiful about it but um I think that part of it helps you when you are in scenes to trust that there will be fun moments and just because you know maybe the first 30 seconds of the scene or even the first minute of the scene wasn't funny doesn't mean that that's going to be the whole show um something always comes up whether it's accidentally or whether you as the improviser just spot a moment that you know could be an expectation that's subverted or a character choice that's a bit silly um you trust that that will come and when it does come that as the two improvisers or however many people on your team that you will notice that and um you know through your training and knowing how to play with a funny thing that you'll be able to keep that ball up in the air when it yeah. when it arrives. You can build on it. Yeah. I, I, I should point out, I've been to a few shows at the Improv Conspiracy. I haven't seen one bomb yet for anyone. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah. Oh or maybe God, I've well. just been lucky. Oh, no, next time. <laughs> yeah, give, give, <laughs> oh, give it a few. You might. <laughs> Which shows did you see? Uh, I saw a few at uh, during festival and um, oh, yeah. uh, my friend Nassie. Is invited yes. me to a few shows, so I've just seen a couple there. Yeah, I can't remember yeah. anything specifically, but yeah, it's okay. Um, it's like a dream. You can't really, and even if you did try to describe it, it would make no sense. No, because it's yeah. only happened once. Yeah, people it won't be that show. <laughs> no, nah, people. I, I get my students coming 
into class and I'm like, oh, did you see any shows? And they're like, yeah, um, this guy was like a dragon, but like he wasn't a dragon. He was like a horse dragon. And like his mum had like given him up for adoption, but like he was trying to come back. But then his dad was a, a prince and you're like, it's just like, yeah, describing a dream. It's <laughs> um, One thing I was interested in was people ending the scene, breaking the scene and saying, yeah. Oh, yeah. You, you. And done. I always wrote, yeah, when the, when, no, yeah we've, we've had enough of you too. <laughs> when does some, how do you know when to call time? It's almost like how, how do you know when to enter a scene as well? How, how do you know? <laughs> that um, that's the is there is there any rule of thumb of saying you know a couple of minutes just give them a couple of minutes don't make them go for too long yeah or sometimes there... um it's a little bit like um so it depends on the format so some formats uh and when i say format it's kind of like um, like the, the foundation rules, like are we doing a long scene is the idea that we're supposed to be doing just two people in a scene for 20 minutes um, or do we have a, a, a type of show where there are lots of little scenes? Um, so some formats, yeah, maybe the idea is that we're, we're going to, we need to get, you know, nine scenes out of this. So there is a bit of a time limit. Um, uh, but for the most part, in terms of, uh, so we call it editing, which is yeah. editing is like, yeah, where you, someone in your team d- decides to end the scene. And generally speaking, if you're in a team that has more than two people, we always say that it should be someone else from the team who's on the side, who's on the sidelines. Um, and yeah, so they will, will edit the scene. And what I usually say to them, like, well, when I'm teaching people in like level one and level two is that uh, there are three May so there are three opportunities to edit. Um, one is when there's like a big laugh and you feel yeah. like you know, that's like the top of the scene. It couldn't possibly get any funnier. Let's end it on a high. Um, it makes them look really good. It keeps the energy up of the show. Um, the second time is when um, it feels like that it's reached like a natural conclusion. So you know, if two people are talking about um, you know who broke the vase. Um, and then they get into a conflict about who has broken the vase and then eventually someone goes, you know what, I admit it, I broke the vase and maybe it's been about two minutes or something and it kind of feels like, oh, that was the right time. Like that's yeah. the end. There's a reveal or something. Yeah, 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 yeah. And that might, maybe it's not a laugh line, but it just feels right. Um, yeah. uh, then I say then that's a good time to edit. And the third time is the hardest time and that's when you can, see that they're your like teammates are struggling and that they're having a really hard time and so we call that like a mercy edit (laughs) (laughs) Uh, like a mercy killing yes Um, uh, i'm aware that sometimes they have to do that in horse racing there's mercy edits (laughs) except with these guys they get to get up and do other shows yeah Um, yeah, so we, and we say the reason for that is like, get them out of there so they don't have to struggle yeah. anymore. It's a parachute. Yeah. Yeah. Reject. yeah. Yeah. But also you'll feel it. So the other thing that's like, it's not really on like the list of reasons, but sometimes you're on the sidelines and, um, people like 
you trust your feet, like your feet knows before your brain does. And um, again, the classic thing of like improvisers are so polite. Um, so they'll do this thing where like they'll be standing on the sidelines and then you see them like their feet shuffle for a second, yeah. <laughs> like, edge forward or like they burst forward, but then like their brain kicks in and yeah. goes, no, 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 no. Like what if they're about to have an even better line or what if yeah. they're about to get out of this grave that they're digging? Um, don't do it. Don't edit. Yeah. And they go, I'll stop. But it's because your brain's kicked in and the truth is they probably wanted to get out of there. So you, no matter what you do, it's a mercy, a mercy edit to get them out of there. It's, it's, it's funny you say that because it, it just got me flashback to seeing some people step onto the, into the area and then, the, oh, and then step back. Yeah. And then there's a moment when they think, oh, I do have to go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, I should have. Yeah, a lot yeah. of regret. <laughs> Um, another question I had here was how powerful is silence? Which, I mean, if you're talking about bombing, I don't think, um, or, or a mercy edit, I don't think it's in that sense. I think it's in the the silence of a scene that's actually working when, when silence does work. Yeah, it's so powerful. Like I, so many people when they start improv are afraid of it because they assume that for a scene to be funny or engaging or interesting, mm. there needs to be constant dialogue. And I think that that's part like a societal thing. And like, I think just like, especially in like Western cultures that if you are engaged in some kind of social activity, that there is a lot of conversation and that it, if there is a lack of conversation, it means that there is something awkward or, um, that people don't like each other or like it's we want to avoid that silence so um a lot of performers when they start they're like don't be silent like we need to be constantly talking and yeah. back and forth um but in terms of tension there is a lot of power in silence silence like you could enter a scene and have silence for minutes like you could have a whole show that was silent um Obviously, you would probably want to make sure that that was intentional. Um, <laughs> it's purposeful. It's not two people just standing there and um, not doing anything. Like you would need other things going on. But the silence has such a strong implication for the audience that there's a reason why these two people are silent. Like maybe there's this tension and why is there tension? Is it tension because they are in love and um they're trying to like not show that they're in love or like is there tension because they just had a fight um is there tension because it is it is awkward and then we can kind of live in that awkward space of these two characters um yeah it can be funny like depending on what you do there can be a lot of like exchanged looks and it can be very like mimey in that way like it can be a little bit um not slapstick isn't the right, like more physical comedy, like in the in the exchange looks. Um, there can be comedy in the fact that one person is maybe doing one thing and not noticing that the other person is doing something different that kind of contradicts it and then there's comedy in that. Um, there can be comedy in just the like leaning into the reality of that, yeah, how awkward it might be for that silence to happen, like we relate to it. 
as an as an audience, you, you, it also draws your attention a bit more to the stage. I think. Yeah. You you you, you, st- you have you have to draw on your visual and noticing what facial expressions and movements have become because mm. you're not just hearing words. You're this is is I suppose on the way back to the silent movies era mm. of you 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 have to interpret more yeah and the great thing is like I feel like it's a lot it it makes it easier for the audience because um yeah you're not you, you're not bombarded with information you know you come on you don't know what the show is going to be about the improvisers don't even know what the show is going to be about <laughs> <laughs> you know the and when you're trying to watch what they're doing and then listen to what they're saying you're piecing together information and going like what's happening and then sometimes there's too much and it can be a little bit yeah overwhelming but the if you have small pieces of information people are really good at making connections like you can people are really good at going like oh this person is um you know smiling at this other person that must be what they like them like we can draw conclusions based off of like really small pieces of information so yeah sometimes it can be easier yeah and it just while you're describing those things it just reminded me Rowan Atkinson does most mm-hmm. of his or had done yeah. most of his comedy silent without um yeah. very many words very few words the words that were spoken I know they were scripted but they're <laughs> they're priceless because they're they're just timed perfectly. They only he only needs to he only says when he needs to speak. Yeah, and it's exciting because as the audience, I guess there is that tension of like, is he going to speak now? Is he going to speak? <laughs> and he does, and you're like, he did it. He did the thing. <laughs> uh, um, all right, another question I've got on the list: uh, connections to real life. I think that's co- covering sort of. Um, character building mm. and the world that we um that you create so like is in like what what connection does improv have to real life or like I when you're so well maybe also maybe in a way has it how does it help in real life oh how, how does improv learning improv help in real life yeah maybe oh good question um <laughs> it can make you paranoid. Uh, <laughs> really? No, no. There's more that um. Okay, what? Because so... you think every scene's going to become a real life event. There <laughs> is going to be a real dragon horse. Yeah, there's going to be a real dragon horse, man. Like we did this in a scene. It's going to happen in real life. Um, You're no, conjuring it into reality. It's yeah. Great. Yeah. Um, no. Um, improv is really good at uh, making people better listeners and more observant. Um, and more um, perceptive Um, and because it forces you to like you have to constantly be in a state of um, like being on you you always imagine that you're on the receiving end of of information and and what do you do Um, so I think that's it's great in that way Um, it can be great for sorry it is great that is great because I would have expected it to be some sort of personal building thing in terms of how oh, you become more confident and you can speak more and you, you're not so timid of the things you say because you know it doesn't really it's not going to be the end of the world of saying something but it's yeah. more about listening to the other people that you think is yeah. the greater well I think that they go hand in hand because I think when you get really good at um 
listening and being more like observant and perceptive um, that you kind of like you become more confident in a situation because you realize you don't have to invent like if you're in a social situation that really all you need to do is just to listen to the other person and keep responding to them um, because it makes people feel good you know like when you're in a um, social situation when people feel heard um, they feel good and then it like and you know there's rules of like reciprocity and stuff of like you know when they feel good they are enjoying the conversation with you and then it kind of goes back and forth and I think that that does build confidence because you realize that yeah you don't need to come into a conversation with all this like prepared dialogue which is what I used to do when I was younger I remember like coming like being really nervous about going to parties and stuff because I was like what are we going to talk about I don't know what we're going to talk about and do I need to remember like a list of things to bring up um and the truth was like that's never helpful because if you're just planning that going into a situation then yeah you're not listening to what they're saying and maybe the conversation doesn't call for you to bring up your favorite I don't know geode or like dinosaur or something like that like because it's not what's happening in the conversation but what's really important is that you are yeah responding to what that person says and then yeah I think that then you have more enjoyable conversations and I think that's why that makes it uh, makes people more confident well yeah because then it can go anywhere you you haven't planned yeah and you notice like more little things I think like things can be more funny because um, improv really teaches you to like notice when things are a little bit unusual or a little bit silly. Um, so sometimes if like someone says something or does something that is a little bit left of center, you know, so assuming that they're like a friend or someone that you feel comfortable enough to like call it out with, like it, sometimes it is quite funny to be able to go like, did you just say blah, blah, blah. And then that can be like a fun way to engage. So yeah, it can make you see the funny things in life. I suppose that's a bit like saying that your brain becomes a bit fitter in that in reacting to the social environment, like because you yeah. you're training yourself to to think and see cues of, of about people in the world around you. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, you're definitely like training those skills. Like it's all like yeah, training muscles. Like you are really like working on you do a lot of exercises that make you listen really hard so like you get really used to doing it um, a lot or like you do a lot of exercises and calling out unusual things so you get really used to that you get yeah so yeah it is like a brain fitness thing yeah but that so you say exercises these are these are this is part of the learning and the, or going through stages or things like that and yeah. these are just things that you help people um learn how to i was gonna say behave but not behave. how to, <laughs> how to manage being in a in a situation or on stage i mean how yeah. do you teach someone to be on stage i mean that sounds it's, scary enough yeah that's a, okay well there's a couple of all oh, there's a few things there like oh, aren't there? Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> no that's fair every question i think i get about improv is like there are so many like you know, you can explain one thing, but that you, in order to explain one thing, you need to explain another thing. And um, I think, t- t- like, if someone's, first of all, if, like, if someone doesn't want to get on stage or if they're really, really nervous about being on stage, um, the only exercises that you can really do are to get them to um, be quite playful in um, very safe 
situations. So, um, you know, having group work where everyone else is doing the same thing um, and teaching them that, which, and, and they do, they might do something a little bit silly, but everyone else is doing it um, and that they, you know, receive a reward. So everyone claps or laughs is like an internal reward that feel good. So they feel a little bit more confident next time doing it. Um, so that might be in itself an exercise. Um, but the exercise that we do that to get people prepared to be on stage or prepared to do an improv scene, um, they're kind of like training a muscle. Like if you are like a basketball player, obviously you will practice playing basketball, but you'll also do things like you might do um, bicep curls to get your arm stronger so you can hit that three-pointer. I don't know anything about sports, so I don't know. <laughs> um, yeah, so you might do things like that um, that aren't necessarily specifically holding a ball and bouncing it and then shooting a hoop with it, but you are training the muscles to be stronger so that when you do that, it's easy. So we would do these exercises that are like, they might be quite constrictive. So they'll be like, okay, in this scene, you literally have to repeat back everything that your scene partner has just said to you, and then you respond. So that teaches us listening and teaching us to like really good. make that what they said important. Um, well, like in this scene, you can only start with um, sentences that are either I, you, or we. So that teaches us to make the scene about these two people. Um so yeah, we'll put like con- we'll constrict the scene a little bit so it forces them to like use that part of their brain a little bit more. Now that's good because in in that sense of um, lots of training moves, so it's not yeah. just you're not just immediately on stage trying to create a character and a, a building and a and a, a series of jokes on the top of your head. It's yeah, there there is a I want to say safety net of uh of steps yeah 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 and I think the first thing is just teaching people that they're safe and that no matter what they do um that like even if they have a bomb scene (laughs) whether it's they have bombed or it's a bomb scene um that there's the team and the group is there to like clap them and yeah you know be there for them so like we do exercises that make them feel comfortable and make them feel like taking a risk is actually rewarded and and enjoy enjoyable and fun um and that no one cares you know if you do a scene where no one laughs or maybe you tried something that didn't work that that's okay and you know there's always going to be another scene another opportunity for you to do that it's funny that that's come up a couple of times in chats i've had of how supportive other people really are yeah and, and those things like not, like not that very many people talk about oh yeah i bombed regularly no but when, <laughs> when it does happen when something when, when, when it is isn't doesn't go quite to plan mm. um just yeah. everybody is still really supportive of the fact you gave it a go and you know like you said and chat after stage and afterwards or give them a clap regardless yeah yeah and I think yeah like everyone wants you to do well I think like that's what people forget is that the audience didn't come there because they want to see a shit show (laughs) 
they came in like they they want you to do well so they're kind of rooting for you in that sense because like yeah they get something out of it they paid for this show um unless they're a critic um (laughs) in that case uh get the hell out of my show (laughs) Um, but yeah I think because they want you to do well that they are uh supportive in that way also I think so many in I mean for improv specifically we often have a lot of people who are like students or other performers who are watching as well so they know and I think that's the same with stand-up as well you get a lot of other stand-ups in the audience um especially if you're talking about like an open mic night um or like yeah, it's mostly stand-ups in the audience and an open mic night <laughs> <laughs> yeah exactly so they want you yeah, they're like they want you to clap and laugh at them so there is like again it's like a reciprocity thing but they're very they're supportive because they know what it feels like to be up there and they know what it feels like to bomb so do do you feel there's do you feel there's any uh stand-up versus improv uh (laughs) uh, i want to say wars or i want to say battle but that that sounds like a fun show stand-up v improv battle yeah it's funny you say that because there are actually um i know that there was a show that was like whether you get stand-ups to do improv and then improvisers to do stand-up um uh but in terms of like the culture i think like years ago there was a point where stand like there were some stand-up comedians who maybe got wind of you know um whether it was our company or other companies and had a little bit of an attitude that was like, what the hell is this? This is really dumb. <laughs> <laughs> um, but then then a few of them tried it and were like, oh, this is actually really fun. Yeah. Um, and, uh, you know, I'm, I'm sure every theatre likes to think of themselves as like the cool theatre. Uh, <laughs> so I think we were sort of like, yeah, but we're like, uh, this kind of improv is cool. Um, we we're like the cool uh, the cool guys here. So when they when they started doing improv, I think they like passed on to other people. Like, oh, you know, it's actually not too bad. You should try it. And then some other stand ups did it and really liked it. And then there are also some stand ups who don't like it and really don't gel well with the style of that like everything's positive and like we're trying to make everyone feel good about themselves um and that's you know their own prerogative their own reasons why like I won't go into like presume why they feel that way um but I know improvisers like froth at the idea of doing stand-up like so many people yeah like the only there would be some people I think who might be like oh the idea of being alone on stage is scary and writing something is scary. I only know how to think on my feet. Um, What a, what a curse. I only know how to think on my feet. Yeah. I find that the hard part. (laughs) Yeah. But they, and they might dislike it, but a lot of improvisers um, have gotten into stand up in some way or another, like whether it's them just trying it out once or twice or like fully going into it for a festival show or for raw or whatever it is. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I had, had, I've got a couple of questions to finish up on. Yeah, um, it's actually going to be three questions because I've, okay. I've realised I got another one. But um, one would be, yeah, what what do you think stand-ups could learn from doing improv, or vice versa? Even? Oh, uh, okay. So it depends what they want to 
get out of it like do they if the depend if they want to write better um material the only thing i'd say i'd say that the thing that they would get out of um improv is that the ability to just like notice like a lot of stand-ups sort of like observate like the idea of like observational comedy right is like you notice something in the real world and you're like you you notice how silly it is yeah. um that we do this or this thing exists um I so think like we said before it's a way of stand-up could help train your brain spot those things yeah 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 so i think if you're a yeah stand-up comedian you want to get better at that um i think it teaches you a little bit about that um it teaches you that like um without getting into the like hippy dippy stuff of like you are enough that you you just being on stage and being truthful and using things like your point of view and your experiences are actually very interesting to an audience so if you're someone who feels like you need to just write very like well-crafted jokes sure there is that is fantastic and there is definitely a place for that because people will think that you're extremely intelligent but also the borderline like storytelling or like using personal experience um, can be really funny. Um, if you're a stand-up who wants to get better at, um, say, like banter with the audience, like doing some like crowd work. I mean, we don't do crowd work, but obviously crowd work is improvised. So yeah. doing improv would help you with more confidence with that. Yeah. yeah. In terms of the other way around, I don't know that, um, I don't know if stand-up teachers improvises all that much, except that like it gets them out of their comfort zone. Like if you, if you, if you are an improviser who feels really comfortable doing improv, then I'd be like, yeah, get up and do something on your own. Like get out of the comfort zone of having a full team behind you, do something and like bomb on your own, see how that feels <laughs> um, and get used to that. And like, um write practice using your own experiences and practice using your own point of view to write things because that will get you more in tune with creating characters on the yeah part. i think that might that from, from me thinking about it is probably that element that in both ways it's the writing side of things it would help you explore the characters better mm. yeah or, absolutely. or developing a scene better whether it's putting it down in paper or acting it out but um question that I usually start with that we, we didn't start with because we um we just sort of rolled <laughs> straight into it okay, pretty much. We, we crash bombed in, yeah. No, that's yeah. Right. backwards. Um this what got you into comedy? And I suppose in a sense what specifically got you into improv comedy, but why? Um, why? Revenge. Oh really? <laughs> <laughs> um Revenge I, is a is a life but well led is that yeah the... oh it is yeah like I said uh, I mean I mean not like I said as as people say a dish best served cold <laughs> um, no I well yes and no I've I've always been really interested in comedy and like when I grew up like my dad was always into like Monty Python yeah. um, and so watch a lot of like British comedy and I really liked it and I always just wanted to make people laugh um, and. I don't think I was the funniest person in high school, but I wanted to be like, you know, I saw status in the idea that someone was a bit of a class clown. So I was always like, like striving for it. Um, and then, but I was also uh, really liked acting. Um, so I got into acting and then um, my, when I finished that 
course, my partner at the time wanted to get into stand-up. And so together we were looking up some like uh, stand-up comedy courses. <laughs> and um, I found this place, I found the improv conspiracy, like the level one. And I was like, oh, improv, like I've done improv in my acting classes. Um, maybe you want to do this to teach you to do stand-up. And he was like, nah, that sounds crap. I'm not <laughs> Um, and then we broke up and I was like, I'm going to be on stage before you are. And so, oh, yes. and yeah, he doesn't do comedy and I do. <laughs> so Not only that, you won. I won. Comedy. And that's what it is about. Uh, it is about winning. Yes. <laughs> Brilliant. Well, thank you very much. Do you know what, funnily, he's, he's, he was, he was the question I realized I had to ask you because yeah. I have to introduce you as Laura. Buskies, Buskies, or Buskis. yeah, yeah, Buskis, yeah. There we go. Now yeah. that was the last question. How you do did. I say your last name, Buskis? <laughs> <laughs> Glad we didn't start because you know there are lots of different. I this would have been a full hour podcast of just me explaining the origins of my last name and and how to pronounce it. So good to end on that way. Yeah, good. To, <laughs> thank you. <laughs> Thanks for your time. It's been great. No thank you, Luke. It was Can no. It was good to, I love talking about being a real nerd of improv. So thank you for having me. (laughs) That was another good episode. Thank you for listening to Dissecting a Frog, presented by Comedy Victoria. To support this podcast and hear about upcoming gigs and opportunities, become a member, visit the website comedyvictoria.com.au and follow on social media at Comedy Vic. You can track down myself, Luke Morris, at Luke Morris, ha. But please don't take all this comedy talk too seriously because as EB and Catherine White wrote, humour can be dissected as a frog can, but the thing dies in the process. <laughs>